I am the Lord of Darkness. I require the solace of the shadows and the dark of the night. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait You Haven't Seen. And it's a show where we talk about movies and specifically a movie at least one of us hasn't ever seen before. Uh, I'm your host Travis, aka TV's Travis. This is episode number 95. And the movie that we watched this week was 1985's Legend, by uh, directed by Ridley Scott, starring Tom Cruise and Tim Curry and Mia Sarah. And joining me to talk about this, we have Monica. Monica, how you doing? Hi, I'm doing quite well. How are you, Travis? I'm doing all right. Um, it's the start of a new year, so, you know, fresh, clean slate for everybody, right? Because time is relative and an illusion at the same time. <laughs> and also joining me this week is Dr. Jerry Tolbert, who had never seen the movie before. How are you doing? Doing well. Excellent. Now, neither of you had seen the movie before this week, right? Correct. I have a great Not story right. about that if you want to hear it at some point. <laughs> oh. Yes, actually, I do, because I'm always curious about, you know, how movies slip by people. Were you aware of this prior to kind of researching and just hadn't seen it? What's your what's the story? Lay it on me. So so this movie came out in 1985. I was five years old. Mm -hmm. uh, I am a true child of the 80s. And uh, I went to the local rental place, uh, obviously in rural Kentucky where I was growing up. They didn't have a a blockbuster or a Hollywood video at that point. Uh, it was uh, the local gas station actually rented movies. Mm -hmm. And my granddad had a VHS player in his living room on underneath a 19-inch uh, CRT television. Uh, it was one of those top-loading ejectors like you see in, uh, like if you ever watch the Goldbergs, the, the, video, oh, yeah. the, the video cassette player, the VHS player they show in the beginning of that, that was the exact one that he had. Um, and we went into the gas station and I saw this amazing cover that had a unicorn and a Tom Cruise and I didn't realize it was Tom Cruise. I didn't know what Tom Cruise was. I hadn't <laughs> seen Risky Business, obviously. I was five. Uh, but uh, so I I saw this cover and this this dark you know, demon looming over them and I thought that looks really cool. I was into fantasy stuff at the time, even five or six years old. Uh, you know, Star Wars was still a thing uh, mm -hmm. at that point. And so they said, yeah, let's get it because I have uh, I had a couple of step aunt and uncles and family members that were with me that were teenagers and so we got the movie we took it home we put it in the vhs player on this little 19 inch screen the, the first scene pops up and of course you got the whole uh, opening scene and then it cuts to the to the darkness and i lost it i was done <laughs> i was scared out of my shorts and i went in the other room and hid on the stairwell and would not come out uh, and I never went back and watched the movie because of the trauma involved there. Uh, it, it imprinted in a bad way, I guess. Um, and so I just never went back to it. I can absolutely see that happening with this movie, especially at you know five, six years old. I saw it for the first time. I was, I was less than 10 myself. Uh, it came out in 85, so I would have been four. And I probably still, I saw it late 80s. Um, I, and definitely younger than I probably should have been to see it, uh, because I, I, I made it all the way through the movie, but, um, there's a scene where Brown Tom gets the arrow, um, to the head and it hits his bottle of wine. That mm -hmm. one traumatized me because I thought he actually took the arrow in the head 
at that age. And I thought that they killed the character off. And that one, like for a long time, it traumatized me. And I didn't watch the movie again for several years. And when I finally went back and watched, I'm like, oh, oh, so it hit his wine bottle and he didn't actually die. Okay, well, but yeah, the visuals in this are something else. Now, Monica, you hadn't seen it before. Um, how did no, it slip I by never. you? Um, I imagine it being, uh, well, uh, I'm not exactly sure. I'm guessing it's the whole fantasy aspect. I don't go like seek after. So I've never seen a uh, labyrinth. I've never seen crawl. I've never seen any of like the dark crystal, like any of these movies. I just never saw as a kid and it just wasn't like in my radar. I was a big horror fan. So I watched a lot of horror and sci-fi, but like fantasy movies, I don't know. I don't know why. Like I just fantasy movies can be a little, little tougher to get into. I think, Mm -hmm. You know what? I'm thinking about it. I've actually seen Neverending Story, and that reminds me of like the same kind of like fantasy feel. But I like yeah. that movie, so I don't know why I never moved over to like anything else. Yeah, but there's just I mean, something some about Neverending aspects. Story. The guy chopping people up in the background—that was so. Uh, that was pretty yeah, intense. there were some definite horror aspects to this movie. Um, from what I read. Uh, in researching kind of the making of there's the making of this movie is almost as interesting as the movie itself. Um, mm-hmm. it, originally Ridley Scott. So he wanted to do an original fairy tale story. He didn't want to adapt something because his thought process was it's easier to take, uh, the idea of a fairy tale and create something original and mold it to cinema. than try to shoehorn in a book and adapt the book makes sense. So he spent years developing this, uh, this script with the, the writer, William, uh, can't remember his last name now. Um, William Tell. Knows, it has to, no, it has, no has too many, it has too many consonants in the front, so it's That's hard true. to remember. That's true, yes. Yortzberg. Uh, uh, we'll go with that. Go. That's close enough. Um, so they spent years working on the script, and it, the, the first draft or so of the script was 150 pages long, and so roughly uh, almost three hours long. And they both agreed. They're like, this is way too big. It's too sprawling. It's, it would be too expensive to shoot. So we got to trim this down. So they worked on it and they trimmed it down. But when they started shooting, they were going to do more of the horror aspects of it. So you've got that scene in the theatrical cut. It's right at the beginning of the movie with a guy laid out on the table and the like cook butcher dude, just like chopping at this table. And you see the, the person flailing around now in the, there's multiple cuts of this movie, which we'll talk about more. Um, in the, in the director's cut that actually doesn't appear till later. Um, there were also some other things like, uh, the, the pile that Jack is climbing up to get the shot on darkness towards the end of that initially was going to be a pile of rotting bodies. And so you can still see some of that. They, they like at last minute, we're like, you know, maybe we ought to change that. Let's, let's tone it down a little. (laughs) So they did tone down some of the more over the top, um, gore and horror aspects of things down to something more suspenseful, but they brought in Rob Botton to do the makeup effects. And if that name isn't familiar to you, he did the howling, the thing. Um, he's, he's good. He's very good. And you see that in, in some of the makeup and creature effects in this. And so you can also see some of that horror element to characters like Meg Mucklebones, which, Oh yeah. (sighs) Which, which is the doctor. Um, Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> I love. I didn't realize that. Was, well, no, 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 no. I didn't realize it was Robert Picardo until I saw the the the. Actually, I didn't even see it until IMDb when I went back to look at something, and I just it blew my mind. I'm yeah. like, that's that does not. I the character does it. I mean, it's a great action, great movement, great. Like you said, that that practical effects. The practical effects in the movie, especially for a 1985 movie, were phenomenal. Mm-hmm. It, it was. It was absolutely something that everything moved the right way. All of the dwarves had that classic, you know, early 80s movie dwarf look to them. I, I kept thinking about uh, Billy Barty as Gwildor in the in yep. the uh, Masters of the Universe movie the entire time because mm-hmm. it's the same na- nose prosthetic, I think. Uh, but but that whole, all of it, every bit of that. And then and then obviously Tim Curry's prosthetics in the, in the movie were amazing. Mm-hmm. It looked like it probably weighed about as much as he did, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um it Rob Botton definitely when it's when you're doing practical creature effects, he's like one of the three names you you want to call mm-hmm. to do that. Absolutely. Uh the Absolutely. dude just knows his stuff and it shows and it makes it makes it easier for people on set to to react to whatever's there. I will say this, if mm-hmm. you didn't make it through the opening scene with darkness, uh I don't think you would have made it past the Meg Mucklebone scene as a 5-year-old. Like you want to talk no traumatizing. That's, oh yeah, that's freaky as a oh. as an almost forty year old man. Although, as a forty year old man, yesterday the thing that I noticed the most was the inconsistencies in in shooting. Like Tom's got a shield, Tom doesn't have a shield. Tom's got a shield again. Now the shield's hanging from in front of Meg Mucklebones. What the heck just happened? So it, it was it, that was the part I think that threw me the most. Yeah. yeah. So okay. Having- Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Having seen both of them, because mm-hmm. Travis let me watch uh, the director's cut and the uh theatrical wow it was watching the two different scenes watching the original which was like fluid and long and had all the Mm -hmm. things and then watching the second one was like oh that's it like they (laughs) they just gutted it yeah so they they did take out go ahead i was just gonna say let's talk about some of those differences in the the theatrical u.s version and then the director's cut uh the director's cut came out dvd in like 2002 um, now this stuff happened to Ridley Scott a lot in his career, especially his early career. If you look at Blade Runner, there's been, uh, I think somewhere around three dozen different cuts of that movie. Yeah. There's five. There are five that you can get right now. I think yeah. you can literally watch all five of them right now. Mm-hmm. This had, uh, this had at least three because it had a U.S. theatrical release, which was 89 minutes long. And that's, what's available. If you go to Apple or Google or whatever to rent or buy, there was a UK European release that was 94 minutes long and it added a few things and restructured a couple of parts. And then there was the, um, 113 minute long director's cut. So, um, one of the scenes that has changed more than just about anything else is that Meg Mucklebone scene. The whole idea behind it, the, the structure of the movie is very different. It's got more ambiguity to it. Things take longer to develop. There's no opening text. The movie opens with darkness talking. You never see him. You don't see darkness. I think it was an hour and 19 minutes when he finally shows up on screen in the director's cut. You see his arm and you hear his voice, which to me works really well because then once you see him, it's like it's a huge reveal and it's this it's a reveal, big yeah. thing as opposed to Plus, he's he never has that blue look to him either with the glowing eyes. Um, it's like which, the alien effect. 
yeah, alien or Jaws. They didn't show the monster until like the end, right? Exactly. But you have well, sons. And, and Scott. Mm-hmm. It makes it more of a story rather than, a, you know, at that point, it's this good versus evil versus good versus evil versus good versus evil in the, mm-hmm. in the, in the, the theatrical cut. But then if you look at the, at the director's cut or the European cut, it's, it's actually telling the story and then the big bad wolf comes out of grandma's clothes. I mean, it's not, you're not aware of what's going on ahead of time, which really makes for more, I actually enjoyed the story, that formatting better, uh, yeah. to, to be brutally honest. Because the, the, when they, like you said, when they gutted the movie, Monica, it, it really did. It took the heart and soul kind of out of what the movie was trying to do and just made it a, a Saturday morning cartoon kind of thing. Yeah, it was uh, it was kind of your standard uh, fantasy movie, American fantasy movie, as opposed to what they were going for, which had a little some more layers to it, and it played with um, mm-hmm. good and evil in the balance between that in people. So you had things like there was more about Lily when and her greed. Um, they played that a little bit more. They played Jack's lust a little bit more for Lily that turns into and, and morphs into actual love, but it wasn't like the the theatrical version is just very much more kind of straightforward in that respect um the the mucklebone scene the thing i like about that scene in the director's cut is it's the first thing that jack does after getting that armor and uh weapon it's the first thing he has to face and he doesn't just uh kind of pull the sword out and cut her head off and that's it he he works her vanity against her with the shining of the shield. That's why the shield moves. You were talking about, oh, the, suddenly the shield's over here. She actually takes the shield and hangs it up like a mirror and is looking at it. He uses her vanity against her. And even still, he struggles with the sword two or three times before finally getting it out and, and attacking her. So I liked that. I liked those little things that built uh, built along even more. Um, and yeah, the other... In, in the, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, the theatrical cut, that makes him look like he became a sword's uh, Swordmaster, just by picking it up. Yeah, exactly. So you get a little bit more of a hero's journey from him uh, in, yeah, the, exactly. in the director's cut. There's also um, the the whole bit with Lily as a princess is completely mm-hmm. bypassed in the theatrical version. Uh, they uh-huh. never mention it once. She's just the lady, whatever, and that's a big deal in the in the director's cut. She's a princess, and it's you know that that just completely gets washed over they changed the music last minute oh yeah that's a huge thing and it it totally changes the feel of the movie jerry goldsmith did the score i like his work he does good work Mm -hmm. and it was a fully orchestrated score it really fits the mood last minute they change it to tangerine dream and one of the guys from yes and it what it does more than anything i think is it takes it from a timeless kind of fairy tale to an 80s movie very quickly. Absolutely. Yeah, it could have. You know, it, it went from that feeling you get when you watch the director's cut of Blade Runner, and and you're you're hearing all of that. And, and honestly, I the I don't know why, but in my head, I actually had Vangelis doing the the soundtrack for this. Um, it would have that would have fit, it, but. It, but it, that weird kind of synthy, you know, just echoey room feeling kind of noise, and. Tangerine Dream almost hits that. Mm-hmm. So I understand kind of the I understand the thought process, I think. I think the Jerry Goldsmith score makes it more of a fairy tale, absolutely. Um and I think it, it definitely pulls it back, like you said, to that to that story versus 
it almost it's almost like they tried to jam Blade Runner and you know and I was going to say the Legend of Zelda but maybe we're going to talk about this later I don't know if you were thinking this but yeah like 86 Legend of Zelda comes out and I'm like okay so you got the floating little fairy lady you got a guy with no pants who's carrying around a sword uh you know I mean this is this you can't beat it I mean it's it's yeah and there are rumors that Miyamoto got highly inspired by this movie when coming up with the idea of Legend of Zelda. And if that's true, I, I mean, I would buy that if it's true. Oh yeah. Um, I dove down that rabbit hole last night after watching this movie again. Also, I mean, the there's no- lots of stuff that just inspires people, right? You know, yeah. so it's so possible that it oh, yeah. sounds probable. Also the no pants well, thing with it- Tom Cruise, not only is he not wearing pants, but he squats a lot in this movie. <laughs> Absolutely. This movie Absolutely. really I, went I, I, out I, of its way to show off his crotch. It took me out of the film so many times for him to not have pants on. Like, just not even the the squatting part, just not having pants. I'm like, everybody else, pants. Tom Cruise, no pants. I'm like, he's not that popular yet. Yeah, I know. He's had like The ladies weren't wearing pants. Just want to point that out. Uh, The fairy and technically the princess. Actually, the fairy was wearing pants, wasn't she? No. No, the fairy, you could see right up her butt. Yeah. She was wearing like a little thong thing or whatever. I never saw her like I feel like I never saw her from the waist down except for that scene where they're running through all the things that look like giant chess pieces. Hey, I said that, the same thing. That yes. was the most disappointing part of the whole movie is that they weren't giant chess pieces. You know, I think with more budget they would have been. <laughs> yeah. like oh that. well and, and that's another great you know, you talk about the setting of the story and the, just the environments. This was all shot on a sound stage, right? I I, mm-hmm. I did read about some of that stuff and it was, you know, it's the same set as Pinewood, you know, the same place that did Star Wars and a bunch of other movies. Yep. It was on the 007 uh, soundstage. And you could tell that. Like, from that was the one thing about this movie that I think, I, more than anything else that I picked up watching it, you know, both of the cuts, it felt so small. Like, yeah. it felt like you could walk from one end of the world to the other in about 15 minutes. Um, like, everything was literally seemed like it was connected to each other, like, one to one to one. Like, if you just turn left, you're going to see the thing off in the, on the distance. Uh, and yeah. that really made for a very claustrophobic kind of feel to it as it as if this world had no history it had no backstory it was just this little you know they're on this island floating in space basically kind of yeah yeah that's a good way to put it that island floating in space feel because everything's just it's almost could have been like on the holodeck or uh did yeah. you ever see dark city could be one of those floating cities yeah. oh yeah absolutely that kind of an absolutely. idea and it's that's the void right the void is just space it's so there's right. your sci-fi and, angle and it, for it <laughs> It fits. It absolutely fits when you see that at the end. You know that that ties it back together a little bit. Mm-hmm. But just this idea that it, like all of the scenery, it just it, it evoked this kind of. I feel like I've seen that in a bunch of different movies. That same kind of, um, you know, they're running through the same places, and and yeah. all the flowers are bought from a florist. And you know, <laughs> the, the the touch at the end with the lilies that was perfect. I um I, I, I had to shake my head at that one. But um, but but just that idea of. Oh, and all the glitter. Oh, my oh, gosh. Man. There was so much glitter in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Glitter gets like everywhere. A stripper got, it's like a stripper got hit with a baseball bat. I mean, it was <laughs> everywhere. Yeah, they just had stripper pinatas all over set. And it was just, they all got exploded. Fairies are full of glitter. Don't this you is know true, but the fairies. But... It's, yeah, it's like the Tinkerbell thing where they shake yeah. them. Yeah, the you just shake off. them yeah. and like, glitter everywhere, man. Yeah, it, it was it was overwhelmingly intense. The amount, like, it just like you could see it in their hair. You could see it like in the dark shots when it was supposed to be really dark, and then they're like sparkly. Mm-hmm. Uh, that just kind of that blew some of that for me in terms of 
Why are you sparkling? You well, the least sparkling. believable thing is that they could go from one seat to the next and not be covered in glitter. Because I'm sorry, once that glitter's on you, it's <laughs> over. You that mm-hmm. is your life now. You are covered in glitter. Uh, You're um, It's the. I just want to go the, back. The, the medical. <laughs> yeah, the medical joke is it's the herpes of craft products, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, kind hmm. of. All right, so I, that's you, a lot of mixing you had of something, that. Monica. I was going to say, if we can go back for a second to the whole Tangerine Dream thing. Huh? I actually like Tangerine Dream in mm-hmm. certain mm-hmm. movies. Uh, I, I don't know if either of you have seen The Keep. No, I'm guessing I know not. what it is. I, I, it's probably been yeah. a while since I saw it. I was probably... In- I, I did a whole younger. episode with Hammond on um, Beyond the Playlist for mm-hmm. that. And that movie tangerine dream it like blew my mind the way the music and the score works with the movie but this this didn't feel like it worked at all it just it did not feel right now here's a question for you though if you had not no, I seen remember why. I remember the thea- the director's cut first do you think you would look at it differently if you'd only ever seen the the theatrical cut do you because i feel like it works in that movie but once you hear Jerry Goldsmith's score with those images, you're like, oh, no, this is what we should be hearing. This is so much better because it just fits that that fairy tale feel for it. They also cut a bunch of Lily singing out of the movie, which I, I didn't like. Like that gave it that otherworldly kind of Disney princess feel to it as well of her just singing to the unicorns or singing to Jack. I liked that. I think I think that if I like there there's a, a a classic thing of perception of when you first watch a movie it it binds to what you originally see so if i had seen the theatrical cut of course like that's what would be in my mind mm-hmm. but if i then saw the other you know the director's cut and saw you know with the better music i i would hope that i would have the taste <laughs> to be able to separate it but at the same time Maybe I got attached to it because I saw it as a kid and the music, I don't know, it moved me in a way that made me, you know, quit school. or whatever. I don't know, whatever. Nice. The point is, you know, I I did see it the way I did. I, blah, blah, blah. I did see it the way that I saw it, mm-hmm. just like I saw, you know, Aliens before the regular one before I saw the director's cut. So it's just like that's always going to be, you know? Yeah. No, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. It makes sense definitely like the director's cut more seeing them side by side is also a different thing too if i even if i had seen the the other one first i definitely would have liked the second one better because it's it's still right now 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 i i like the fact i think i think it fits i think part of i part of maybe what you're feeling too i don't know i'm not you but but uh but for me i think it fits that shorter formatting i think the tangerine dream soundtrack actually fits better if you tried to fairy tale up what they did with the shortening you would turn it in it literally becomes a saturday morning cartoon with a few chopped up bodies i mean it's yeah. it is hmm. it is too fairy tale-ish for that cut down because there's not enough story to really carry it forward you don't get the you don't get the world building or the the, the actual character building i guess more than world building that mm-hmm. you do in the longer cut and i think that that soundtrack buys you a little bit it's kind of like um, you know, it's kind of like the John Williams soundtrack to Star Wars. You know, that's a classic example of if you strip that soundtrack out, that movie becomes a lot less powerful than it is. It's true. You know, yeah. when you watch it again without any soundtrack, it is 
campy. It is, you know, it's Battlestar Galactica on television. <laughs> and I think that's really kind of what happened when they cut it down. It became mm. this sort of campier movie. And by doing that sort of techno soundtrack, it really, like I said, it gave it that Vangelis feel of this. It, it's expanding the room a little bit because they didn't really expand the room inside the movie. Yeah, I will I say, though. Point out. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, you, you. Well, all I was going to say is, even if you keep Tangerine Dream in the shorter cut, get rid of the Brian Ferry song and the song in the end Oh, credits. my gosh, Those yes. are horrible. Oh, my gosh, yes. I like Brian Ferry. I like Yes. It doesn't fit here. It felt so weirdly mm-hmm. out of place to have suddenly, for the first time in the entire movie, you have vocals in a song, and mm-hmm. they just, they were weird. Mm-hmm. They're, they're never, yeah, no, at least just do the instrumental part of it, and then it, maybe run it at the, the end half of the credits. Mm-hmm. With the lyrics, but don't put Maybe. the lyrics in the middle of the movie. That just that that was not good. No. Uh, what were you going to say, Monica? The uh, also there was a, a moment where I asked Travis because the theatrical cut is obviously the one that came out that everybody saw and that was around for a really long time. How the movie did, and he said that the the movie didn't do well, and so you know right there, like that tells me that it just didn't work. I mean, I'm not saying. It, People obviously people love this movie. It became a cult classic for what it was and what it felt like. But like, can you imagine if people didn't make theatrical cuts of movies and just let movies be what they were supposed to be? Like, this might have been a movie that, you know, took off within the fantasy and, you know, nerd people like us community. And this would have been maybe a movie that, you know, everybody at, in bleh, in my childhood was like, you have to watch this movie. It's the it's the stuff. Yeah, I think, I think well, it has a little bit of a cult status though too because of that. Yeah, but a, li- and, a and little I, cult status. And it inspired status. a lot like of Star Wars. Yeah. Well, but it, yeah, exactly. Fine. But it, but it inspired a lot of stuff like we were talking about with you know potentially inspiring Miyamoto and and inspiring some of these sort of peripheral things. Um, it sounds like you know in terms of in terms of the the concept like you were talking about Travis with this idea of creating a fantasy world. I think having somebody try to build something like that from scratch is a, you know, it, it, that is the, that's the Star Wars trope. It's the, it's the hero's journey. It's the, you know, it's the, the Campbell, you know, myth. Um, I got my copy of, of Campbell over there somewhere on the shelf. Yeah. Um, it, but, but it's just this idea that, that you're right though. They gutted it of that. If you, if you watch the, the director's cut, it is more that classic kind of progression um, and you get the the fatal flaw, and you get the you know the 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 riddles. Oh, that was the other part that they cut. That that um, yeah. That, oh, uh, when they when he first met um, oh tiny Gump. Swedish guy um, Gump. Yeah, um, the the whole process there of kind of building again, just building that that mythos of of the fairies themselves and of the of the you know the the wilder people or whatever you want to call them uh that added something to the movie that it just wasn't there there i had less skin in the game you're talking about you know the the arrow to the head i was like oh okay i guess that guy's dead um right you know it you didn't have that same tie to those folks that you did in the in the director's cut yeah and i want to point out that i also thought that he got hit in the head and was very sad for a moment (laughs) yeah they do it's a convincing uh scene um I will say. Absolutely. 
No, there, His there's head some of really that. big. I just thought it was like really tall in the hat. And he <laughs> just like, and then earlier in the show, Travis is like, but I was a little kid. I was like 10 years old. So of course he was an idiot. <laughs> oh, shush. Um, but there's, there's other things like the riddle, the whole riddle scene, that whole first scene where Gump and the fairies and the elves and all them show up and find Jack. In the director's cut, it's much longer. They've got the riddles. It shows Gump as being kind of an angry character. He gets really angry when because Jack doesn't immediately say that he went to take her to the unicorns. Then he kind of fesses up to it. Then he's got to answer that riddle or they're going to basically kill him. So, it, it again, it's adding layers and things. Um, and there was even stuff, though, in the theatrical cut that got uh, sort of glossed over or forgotten. Um, to steal a term from film sack, the chick in the bucket would be Blix and Pox, okay. the goblins, because they just no longer in the movie after one, after that one scene. And yet we see blunder again. Uh, and blunder supposedly dies in that scene, which honestly, if it were me writing it and making this movie, I would have had that be the last shot of blunder is when the corpse bear hugs him and just walks off. Cause that was a funny exit, but also could have been a nice permanent exit where it just drops down the hole and then give us some, some tie up with Blix and whatnot. Cause Blix is, as a goblin is given so much time in the first half hour of the movie and then just d- done disappears and you never see her again. And that's unfortunate because it was a, yeah, an interesting character. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I just, I wanted more of that. I would have liked maybe a little bit more of the idea of Blix trying to overthrow darkness would have been kind of cool to see because Blix is all ready to do that when she's got the alicorn. Um, and then darkness yeah, shows up thought, and it's like, Oh, never mind. <laughs> I thought that whole diversion of, of dancing around practicing your magic as you swing the unicorn horn, that could have been played up a lot more. Like you said, I think that would have been, it, it would have made the payoff at the end a little bit stronger, I think. Yeah. Um, because there was not really that it, the unicorn was, was almost a MacGuffin in this thing. I mean, there really wasn't. I mean, it's the classic trope of of you know the the unicorn is the symbol of purity or whatever which mm-hmm. yeah, it depends on which which of the <laughs> unseely uh, legends that you you ascribe to but the idea that uh that there just wasn't a there was no skin in the game for that horn after the blick scenes like yeah no, darkness got really it but he did absolutely again. nothing with it until the very end when it impales darkness i mean it was basically it had to get to darkness so that jack could use it to kill darkness in the end i mean that was the main yeah it became chekhov's alicorn right <laughs> exactly but well, and... didn't it make all the evil stuff happen and it made it snow or whatever the hell was going on well, with the weather it, like it... just just the breaking and the killing or what did that i think yeah I, I, that was yeah. how i took it but, then, but still, they took it away, so they couldn't apparently just put it together and it would magically... Right, they couldn't just, you just bind it back together again. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, that's, those are the other scenes that really are kind of like apart. I get rearranged it. and, yeah. A little Bondo and some super glue and good as new. But And then, on top of that, like, they capture Lily and the second unicorn, but then they don't kill the second unicorn and take its horn right away. They're like, There's no, we're gonna, we're gonna hold on to this one and wait. Well, so, like, one of them is a unicorn and the other one is an alicorn. Like, that was one of the things that they pointed out. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's a, a male-female thing. I've never heard that mythos before. There wasn't really any expo- exposition about that in either of the cuts. Um, was the... But you could tell. The, well, the was male the, is the one they killed. Yeah. They they killed the stallion. But the alicorn, I thought, was what they were referring to the horn as. 
So I think that was actually the female. Hmm. Like that, they were calling the female the alicorn, and I've read that a couple of different places too because I was kind of confused by that as well. I'm like, why did why why is it still alive? Uh, and, and interestingly, growing up, uh, I, I am from Kentucky. In case we didn't talk about that, but uh, I uh, grew up on a horse farm, and so. Um, it was interesting. The the female horse in this had actually just foaled um, because she still she had, well, she was still producing milk. You could actually see that in several scenes, and so I was I was thinking that I honestly because I hadn't seen this before when I watched the first cut, I was thinking, oh, they're going to bring this back by having her have a baby in the middle of all this. Like I, I thought that was going to be the I thought it was going to be a thing. What's up? Oh, you did. An alicorn is a mixture of a pegasus and a unicorn, so it's a winged unicorn. Hmm. Interesting. That is interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that was a thing. It'd be cooler if it was an alligator with a horn. Yes. Uh, I have a thing for unicorns. So the unicorn scenes like really made me emotional, like to the point of like, like crying and stuff. Um, Well, then they they had the desired effect on you. It was what they were going for. They wanted that effect. You, you are the, the target. Audience. They were so beautiful. Look at the horse. I like even if they were just horses. Like I love horses. There's just something so beautiful about horses. You know, like just most cre- and, and animals are pretty. You know, to me, but horses. There's just something about them. You know. Mm-hmm. And those two were actually very, very good specimens. I mean, they were they were good looking horses. But it was interesting to see just how they used it. I just, I, it was, I don't know. I, I, I kind of, you know, like I said, it you, you mentioned earlier, they've got those missed opportunities. I think, I think Blix was absolutely some of that. I think, uh, the, the whole kind of Peter Pan and, and Tinkerbell scene with what was it, Una, is that her name? The, yeah. the fairy, um, that whole thing, there could have gone a lot farther with that. Uh, I actually had a couple of different moments where I was thinking, you know, had this been a movie, made 20 years later they would have you know substituted in una where she had already she had already copied uh lily mm-hmm. uh in in the scene with jack she has substituting her in, in in when uh darkness finally finds lily and have that be una not lily and i was i was going all kinds of different directions in my head when i was first watching this and then i was like no nope, they just went straight up the middle with it um yeah. okay cool um one last thing on the unicorns i did want to mention is the the noises that they made the sounds that they made of them playing because it was just humpback whales, and that's what I was like, thinking too. Obviously, it like Star Trek Four. Yeah, yeah, it was obviously humpback whales. So I just thought that was funny because they had them, you know, neighing like horses in some scenes, and then so I don't know. It was it was strange. I, I was wearing my my noise canceling headphones watching this, and so I was picking up on all those little nuances. And I really I I. I honestly want to go back and compare that to some of the scenes from Star Trek Four because it sounds almost identical. <laughs> See to the if it's whale the same stuff. Yeah. Um, all right, so I do want to talk a little bit about some of the production of this movie because there there are some interesting stories. So we talked about how it's all shot on a soundstage. Um, they used the main one was the 007 stage at Pinewood, but they used a couple of others too. That stage burned down while they were making this movie. In the middle of the movie? Yes. Yeah. In the middle that. of making the movie, the whole thing burned down while everybody was away at lunch. And so they had to hastily rebuild sets that they needed to finish the movie, which I can't even imagine being in that situation. Um, uh, Especially when that's all you've got. 
Yeah. I mean, because like I said earlier, this is like three, three basically, well, four, if you count the two different sections in the woods. But you've got the castle, you've got the, the sort of sylvan glade area, which is kind of three major it's got its own little three subdivisions and then the house, the, the interior of the, of the cottage. Yeah. And, and that's it. I mean, that's, that is it. Everything else is, is supposed to be basically the same space. So I can't imagine if you had to like start all of that over and then continuity of which again, that's continuity wasn't really much of a thing in this movie. So no, um, they did, however, so they had to basically dub in every line that was shot in any forest scene because the noises and the sound of the soundstage was too loud to hear anybody. So some of the voices, the voice of Gump was dubbed by a different actor. Um, as actually the, the actress playing Blix did the voice of Gump. And ironically, in the German version, then they did that because the actor playing Gump was Swiss and he sounded too German. In the German dub of the movie, he does Blix's voice as well. So I thought that was kind of funny. That's awesome. Um, but they, like, okay, so I get that. You're going to dub this character. That's fine. Everyone else you could tell was dubbed too, though. And not very well. Um, the Nell, the lady that lived in the cat cottage, it was very obvious how dubbed she was. Um, I mean, it. it's a little bit jarring, kind of can take you out of some scenes how poorly some of that audio seems to match up. And like, I get Tim Curry's dubbed because they're processing his voice a lot. He's already got a deep voice and they're making it deeper, but that worked, that looked really, that looked and sounded so great. But for some reason, some of the other dubbing just was bad, especially the dubbing with Brown Tom and screwball. And, uh, what was the other one? Pretty much um, all of the supporting cast, pretty much everybody. Yeah. Um, all of Una's scenes had that feel to them. All of the um, the other goblins, I, I guess they were using that term a lot more loosely, I think, because they were calling the whatever the guy's name was they rescued the um, blunder. Oh shoot, blunder. Yes, um, they were calling him a goblin as well. But obviously, he was one of the forest people that had been you know switched sides or whatever. I, that that had some more room to to play. But all of his scenes, like. Mm -hmm. You could tell absolutely that he was, not only was he dubbed, but even once he took his helmet off, it still didn't line up. <laughs> yeah. At least with the helmet on, you, feel... you've got a, you've got some leeway when his helmet's on. Right. There's no mouth. You, yeah. You <laughs> it's just a helmet. But it, it wasn't muffled. That was the other like... thing. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was just saying it wasn't muffled. I mean, it's, it didn't sound like he was wearing a helmet. <laughs> I was going to say it made me feel like a lot of the Italian horror movies that I've seen the way that they dub Italian and everybody's just dubbed. Oh yeah. But they usually do a good job, but every now and then it's wrong. Well, I think Honestly, the difference like their yeah. lips are so wrong, but for whatever reason, sometimes they just look right. You know, like sometimes they do it right. But that you can get away how. with because they're all speaking their native language, right? So you've got somebody speaking Italian and somebody speaking English and somebody speaking German because it's just faster and cheaper for them to produce that way. This was everybody speaking English, but the, the set was so loud, they got to go back through and redub everything. And so they like needed a, the Italians to come and dub it. They did, I guess. Either that or just mm -hmm. dub everybody's or, voice different. I don't know. Which is better, better ADR. I mean, I think yeah. the balance on it was just that. I mean, the audio processing on all of this was, was definitely 80s. Um, oh, you know, yeah, very much so. It, 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 was, it was definitely not the height of, of uh, technology for, for any of that. Uh, the the star effects at the end were pretty cool, but yeah. 
Uh, so uh, makeup. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, it's a perfect segue because I was literally just going to say the Tim Curry mask at the end during the fight scenes, the hero mask was great. But when they would cut in between the stunt double and Tim Curry, oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it looked like it looked like one of those 80s and, or 70s Italian horror films. It was like a, it, it, you know, it was the it was the Michael Myers mask there for a while painted red. Um, yeah, it was pretty, pretty much. Bad. Um, so I totally his... missed that. <laughs> If you watch oh, it again, watch the fight you, scene again. Yeah. yeah, watch that fight First scene again, and time. watch for the watch the fight scene where he's fighting darkness, and watch for darkness's mouth to become totally un- dis- detached from the rest of his face. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but the hero makeup that they did for Tim Curry uh, was incredible. Um, they had him on; he had 18-inch iron stilts that he wore um, to make him seven foot three before the horns. The horns were three feet long and they had a harness rig that went underneath all the makeup too. So, and it was just, I mean, I can't imagine the strain those had to have had on his neck. Eventually they figured out how to make them look right and still be hollow. So they were a little bit lighter, but, uh, he, he went through something like five and a half hours of makeup every day that he had to shoot. And at one point at the, at the end of the day, he would have to go through another hour of basically sitting in a bath to dissolve the spirit gum. And one night, I guess, he got claustrophobic and impatient and just ripped the stuff off and, like, tore off his, you know, was tearing his skin. So they had to shoot around him for a bunch of, for, like, weeks. Um, he not only did really Scott, he was horrified, but he also felt terrible for Tim Curry for, you know, going through that. So they, they were shooting around him for all that stuff, like... In a way, that helped, right? Because in the director's cut, they have what, what we talked about earlier with that buildup to to him uh, and the reveal mm-hmm. of him. But at the same time, it's like, oh, man, that it's it's both fantastic looking and just frightening to think of having to sit through, you know, five and a half hours of makeup every single day. I don't know, but man, did it look good! Like it's it iconic. did, and they made him look. They made him look ripped too, which is really oh, yeah. interesting to me because you know I've seen him in a bunch of other stuff from around that same time frame. And then you see Mia Sarah, who is ripped. Her abs were amazing, and they ended in that dress. I was like, that is not makeup. That is her. She is. She was cut. She was actually like, I mean, her 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 abdominal muscles were impressive in that at that point. Um, but like Curry, you could tell it was all prosthetic muscle. But man, he looked. It looked real. I mean, it looked like he was actually. Yeah, and the and, and it gave him such an imposing presence. And then you add in like his voice is already amazing, and the processing <laughs> he's, he's, they do to his voice and it's just like otherworldly. When I hear the devil in my head, I hear Tim Curry before I even saw this movie. So yeah, <laughs> and I, that's probably because of what happened when I was five. So that's but but yeah, that's uh, that's true. The yeah. devil clowns. I see. I hear Tim Curry's voice it's everywhere. True. It's true. I swear. Mm-hmm. I didn't even think about it that way. But yes, yes, he is the voice of evil, mm-hmm. and so good at well it was. Too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I that mentioned... Was... Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that it's just uh, it's also sad that he's not been able to work so much because of the stroke. But Yeah. Um, he's doing a lot of voice time. work, though. Mm-hmm. So that's Yeah, good. and that's the one thing that's still around, which is awesome, given the amount of, of stuff that he has had to deal with. It's pretty impressive. So, uh, But yeah. He did that... definitely um, iconic. This past October, they did like a read-through of uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show, one of those, like, you know... Things I haven't watched it. I'd actually like to watch it, but I completely missed it. But that would be great, you know. Oh yeah. See how he's doing. And- it was. It was also though a different. I mean, that was a different voice for him too, though. I mean, that wasn't yeah. the voice of evil. That was the voice of of being fabulous. So it's true. 
Um, I have, yeah. We we mentioned Blix, but the Blix uh, character mask was actually semi modeled after Keith Richards, which I thought was interesting. And that was um, Alice Platon's idea, and Ridley Scott loved it, so they went with it. And you know, obviously, super exaggerated it, but that was like the basis for it. She's like, make him look like uh, Keith Richards. So, um, I did like uh, Billy Barty. It, yeah, I know all I could think of was Gwildor, even though this was two years before that. But like, Gwildor is just that that character that you can't help but associate with Billy Barty and that voice. So even though he's not oh, yeah. he doesn't have a ton of screen time, I, I liked him. He was great. So you know what I, you 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 all are saying Masters of the Universe for Billy Barty, but I always think of UHF when he yeah, was. Yeah, that's um, another one. Yeah, noodles like that forever is my mind is in my mind like his laugh in that movie and oh yeah the way that he talked oh just i love that now i gotta go watch uhf <laughs> he's he's actually in a ton of stuff uh you know from the 80s uh and earlier even he's got to be uh, in willow right he, he sure is but it's not is that racist to much. say that I don't no. think it's race i think it's more <laughs> sizest I, I, I well you know up on the he, he is in Willow, by the way. Um, they needed the, the actors. Yeah, one of the things was they were oh, yeah. originally, um, Richard Edlund was talking about uh, t- shooting the entire movie in 70 millimeter. That way they could take the negative and they could shrink it and grow it to whatever shrink size it. they wanted and <laughs> and have the actors be that. And then they were like, yeah, it's too expensive. We can't, we can't do that. So that was when That's they hilarious. started coming up with, okay, well, now let's find the people we can for this. Because you got Billy Barty's like three foot nine. Um, Court Hubbard, who played Brown Tom, is about four foot eleven. Uh, the guy, what is his name? I can never remember it. He's in like Tom Cruise. Just about every Star so, Wars. No, Tom Cruise was the giant on the set for like five seven. So I thought that guy, and, and he's, I was just saying, he's only five seven. Yeah. I thought that guy was Deep Roy at first, but it's not. No, it's Kieran and Shaw. That threw me off. Yeah, and that Kieran, threw me off because you're right. He is in everything. He's he's the other um, Indian little person that's in everything. He does look so much like Deep Roy, though. It, it, it throws yeah. me sometimes. And, be, and part of that is you always see him in makeup of some kind, right? He's always like right. He Facial was the of some yeah. He was the size double for uh, Elijah Wood in um, Lord of the Rings. Awesome. Um, which. I thought was great. He's like in every Star Wars movie at some point, either doing a, a puppet or who knows what. But they're all. I mean, even um, Annabelle Layton Lanyon, who played Una, is like five foot two. Mia Sarah is only five four. So it was it was a lot of very small people. Apparently, they at one point were going to have Mickey Rooney as something, but it was determined he didn't look small enough compared to Tom he was Cruise. Too big. <laughs> so they didn't go that route. That, according oh, to the I trivia, love Mickey Rooney. So, so Tim Curry's not that tall, if I remember correctly. Which means, even with his prosthesis, obviously he's going to be, you know, with his stilts, he's going to be a lot taller. But that means this whole movie was shot basically in, in, you know, in miniature. Like they didn't even have to shoot. Like everybody in the film was was already short. Yeah, like they kind didn't of. Have to do I mean, Tim different. Curry would have been the tallest yeah. one of the group at five nine. Yeah, and he's he's. Yeah, means- I would say he's under. Yeah, I would say he's under six. Clearly. They saved a ton on film, right? <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of oh, there's a lot of headspace in all the shots. They got <laughs> they got to work on that. They got to drag it all down. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe because it was all on a soundstage, they wanted everything to look bigger, so they brought in all the small people. Wait, wait how tall it, are you both? Six. I'm three six three. Yeah, six you're three. You're six, six three four. 
Je- yeah, yeah, exactly. No wonder which... you're calling people who are like five four little people like just poor those poor people. Everybody's everybody's little compared to me, and they don't realize it until they stand next to me. Like I have all mm-hmm. these family photos, and everybody in my family comes up to like my shoulder. Oh yeah. Uh, and so you see us in family photos, and it's like all these people that are about the same height, and then me. Yep. Uh, like I, I'm I out know of frame. exactly what that's like. Yeah. Hey, I'm five nine, so I'm taller than a lot of people. So see, you're the same height as Tim Curry. Yeah. So that works. Now, granted, they did have again. They had him on eighteen-inch stilts, so right. But but even that, I mean, a foot and a half, a foot and a half uh, for him means that he's not. He's only about a foot taller than us. Uh, So, well, they they say it made him to be up to about seven foot three. Yeah, it would have taken him taller than us. Yeah, yeah, that's about right. So so honestly, if you had somebody that was relatively tall in the scene, he would look that big. Yeah, I mean, he'd, he would tower over people, but he would not be a, the giant that he is in the movie. Because in the movie, I mean, he is absolutely massive compared to everybody else. That's true. And obviously, some of that's the way they shot. They, there was a lot of fisheye lens in this movie. That was the other thing I noticed that, mm-hmm. that really kind of, at a couple different places, really kind of took me out of it. I'm like, oh, please, please, why? Yeah, some of that uh, extreme wide angle. Um, I did joke to myself when I was watching it that the two demon cooks in that, that scene um, mm-hmm. were only like 5'10". Right, they just look huge because it's Tom Cruise. That's and it's probably not too far from the truth. I mean, they they look like they're probably a little bigger than that, but but I, I'd forgotten all about them in terms of height. Um, that Five was ten an, is a good height. Yeah, that was an Same. odd I mean, scene though. That that whole scene with the demon <laughs> yeah. cooks was was weird and felt somewhat out of place. Compared that whole compared. section, that whole section from about the time that Mia Sara gets gets captured until. They get to the throne room section. Yeah. So that whole section where they're lining up shields and throwing them around the room like frisbees. That was the dwarf thing, Monica. I told Monica while you were gone. Uh, there was a, uh, a another section that the dwarves, I felt like they were kind of weirdly utilized. That was that whole section with the with the throwing of the frisbee shields. Mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you could tell where they were going with it. You knew what he was going to do with it. But it was like... These are supposed to be shields, and they're also throwing them around these sleeping cook guys who, if you're giant, throwing giant metal objects, like, they were very quiet for giant metal objects being thrown around the room. I think that was the thing that really kind of took me out well, of they it. Were, but they were, but they weren't, right? Because they were still making noise, and it wasn't until one of them didn't get... Uh, like caught fell, yeah. and it fell that made enough noise i guess to wake up the giants but the demons it just seems like it seems like that would have been like <laughs> even just throwing them through the room like if you've ever thrown any giant metal objects which don't ask why but i have uh <laughs> they make a lot of noise when they mm-hmm. fly through the air it's they not really do. quiet and and like I, I don't know that is just that whole section was kind of and, and tom cruise's stunt double doing the backflips and and <laughs> and somersaults off of the table and all that stuff that was yeah uh that was also not very believable at all no, today's really. tom cruise would be embarrassed of himself having a stunt double it's true and, and who knows maybe it wasn't a stunt double maybe he actually did those things i don't know but uh, I, doubt I doubt he could do flips i don't know he was young we'll see speaking yeah. of young you saw him though, jump on that couch you yeah. should look it up we can look it up david bennett Math. who played gump and annabelle lanyon who played una how old do you think they were if you didn't look it up already uh, when they were making this. I'm not allowed to answer then. Okay. Because he was he was 18. He did mm-hmm. not look like an 18-year-old. I mean, he looked No, I would have picked young. him at 12 before I looked at IMDb. Yeah, and he was, 12 was he, my number. He looked like... Yeah, and, and she was 24 
when they made this. Right. I was going to say she she was one of the she had that face though that looked like she was playing younger. A little but bit, even yeah. though she wasn't supposed to be playing younger, and like that was just the thing. It's like she looked like she was probably a little bit older, and not in a bad way. It's just you could tell that she, um, you know, I, I think her teeth were the other thing that kind of threw me. She had the Tom Cruise teeth with the, yeah, mm-hmm. the Tom Cruise. And and the thing is, his teeth aren't the Tom Cruise tooth. It's not like his teeth are are crooked. They're just it's off center. Like it, instead of having yeah. they they line up with one tooth right in the middle under his nose. It's weird. He's and once had you see some it, work done. Yeah, if you look, he obviously has since this movie because his teeth do not look like this. No. You might have the tooth in the middle, but the side ones that are like I don't know what he's done rotated. Yeah, yeah, yeah and that's a, that's a very very common Hollywood thing. I mean, you hear people talk about it all the time that once they start getting big, they actually start having massive oral surgery kind of stuff done. So, I think I think in this case though, it didn't take me out of it. That I mean, obviously he's a, he's a and that was the other thing. Where did he come? from? From, like even in the long version like it doesn't none of them have a backstory that makes any no, sense like that's the other don't. thing if you're gonna make a fairy tale i get trying to leave some mystery and you know but he came from but, a tree right <laughs> I mean, literally he came out of nowhere like there was no there was no exposition about where he was supposed to be from and he didn't have any pants on i'm like that was the <laughs> like you're, you're jumping out of a tree with no pants on and the, the the princess is just like okay cool hi how are you jack I'm like, yeah, yeah. Um, in, they in, didn't earn that. Let's put it that way. <laughs> true. And they did. So the, the ending was the other major change in the theatrical versus director's cut was uh, the ending of the theatrical version. They they run off together, right? They're, they're madly in love and mm-hmm. they go off into the woods on their own and all the fairies and elves are waving bye to them. And in the director's cut, I kind of like the way it ends a little bit ambiguous. I don't really by the whole maybe it was actually all a dream or not part that they sort of try to play with but but in a way i almost feel like that's less trying to tell us as an audience it was a dream and more of jack trying to convince lily that it was a dream and then and then on top of that so they have that exchange followed by sort of this like oh i do love you but it's not going to – we're not just going to have this fairy tale ending. I'm going back to my house and you stay out here in the woods. I'll come visit you. So I kind of like that ending better. It feels more like like the ending that that story should have to me instead of just them wandering off together because we don't know their backstory, because we don't know anything about them prior to this movie. And it does. It lends kind of itself feel, to to telling more stories. I, I agree with that. I I kind of feel like though it almost I would have tacked the other ending if you're really going for the fairy tale ending, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think that seems like there was with the twist. You already had one twist with the laughing Tim Curry. Um, yeah, at that the was, end. That was dumb. Well, but I think that that if you're gonna do the fairy tale ending, if you're gonna do that thing, then you know do the fairy tale ending give them their you know walking off and it doesn't have to be as as cut and dry as the as the theatrical release mm-hmm. but absolutely give it that closure because they knew going into this that they weren't making another one when they got finished i mean that was that seemed to be in a lot of the stuff that i was looking at that this because of the all the issues that they went through they're like yeah no, never doing this again right so so i think you know 
I think maybe jamming the two together a little bit, taking away from that, oh, yeah, let's kiss each other and move on, and it's the end of the movie, I think that's too cut and dry. I think you're right. I think it's too pat. It's too trite. It's too done. But having that too ambiguous, I think for me, was was also kind of like, well, that's also, and, and that's that's also 30 years on or whatever, 35 years on being jaded by that happening in, in every movie now that wants to be highbrow. You know, I think that... that, that it is absolutely both of those endings are a a thing of their time, I guess is the best way to put it. A little bit, yeah. I just think that the, the director's cut ending, what I liked about it was they confessed a love for each other, but there was like this unspoken realization that while we love each other, we can't just make this work because I am a princess and I have to go back there. And it's going right. to be hard it, for me to it, explain it, it, I, why I'm bringing home a boy with no pants. So. <laughs> And I think that I think that actually works with the longer cut, absolutely, like you said. But I think I think it's earned in terms of she set the she set the parameters for this marriage thing. Mm-hmm. The person who brings me back my ring is the person I'm going to marry. So I think that that was the thing that got me was you don't have to make it you don't have to then add another layer to it. You've already set True. your parameters. You know, honor your honor your quest. You know, so that However, was kind of my. She did say that that's who she would marry. She just never said when. That's true. So, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. God. So, so she could rules lawyer that one, and and you know just say, uh, yeah, it's time to move on. As the resident hopeless romantic here, um, I have to say that even I prefer the director's cut ending with the ambiguity and the, you know, not like blah blah blah. When we're gonna kiss, and you know, and it's just like because I don't like being pandered is that a word yeah pandered yeah. Oh, to? absolutely mm-hmm. like just because i have like the sense of romance and emotional crap doesn't mean i'm just gonna swallow anything that you throw at me like, it's gotta mean something and exactly. the ending in the director's cut that like that meant that's love it's tragic it's tortured it's pulled apart it's just that's what i want mm-hmm. although some movies do have a happy ending and they're good too but this this needed that ending Travis is right in that regard. Well, I think I yeah, think I if think that's, yeah, I I kind of feel like if they if we knew more about their relationship prior to the events of this film, to have the they get together happily ever after ending, that feels earned at that point. But we don't know anything about it. He's just a boy, a half naked boy in the woods, and she's a princess who <laughs> likes to sing to him, uh-huh. and that's all we know. You know, there's even a, a small exposition dump with Nell about. Jack, but Nell is just like, but you're a princess. You need to find your man, and she's like, yeah, okay. Well, I'm going to go in the woods now. Yeah, that was a, such a throwaway thing. That was the hardest part, I think, for me in the whole thing was they just didn't have. There was no build to those characters mm-hmm. that that would have given a satisfactory ending at all. Period. Because my thinking, they actually should have ended it as Tim Curry was floating off into the darkness. Um, I'd have been fine because with that. honestly. I, I, exactly, because you don't need that resolution. You don't need to find out what happens to them, and I think it satisfies the same thing that you're talking about. They're not going to pander to you and give you the fairy tale and they live happily ever after, but they're also not trying to shoehorn in this ending that, that well, let's make them complex characters now, now that they've defeated the evil one, and, and they weren't complex before, but now they are. Look, they're, right. they've they've learned. Mm-hmm. You like, know, she tried to... I mean, she was going to sleep with Tim Curry. I mean, it's like... It's, it, you just went from being, you know, getting ready to drink blood with darkness to, 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 you know, yeah, you beat him. And yeah, you were faking. I get it. But 
that's I mean you were already a shallow character. I mean you already had this depth of of you know a minnow. You're not like a, a deep sea fish. Yeah. She let the unicorn get killed. She well, made the unicorn I'm still get not killed. Happy. Yeah. With her. She but that it. was I mean, that was one, one that... thing. Yeah, and that was one thing with the, the director's cut that I uh, I think makes the story work more is the extra twenty five or thirty minutes that they put into it gives you. Uh, scenes like the scene with with Lily and Darkness at the table. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's what's funny is there's an extra shot in it in the in the theatrical version in the shorter version of the movie with the cup filling up with wine that's not in the director's cut. But the rest of the scene plays out longer, and so you get this feeling of her actually being seduced by Darkness and and kind mm-hmm. of coming to that realization slowly where it, it feels like it could legitimately be happening as opposed to in the shorter version where it feels like you never really buy that she's going to fall for him, that that she's just manipulating him in that scene. So yeah. that was one um, where definitely taking more time in the story paid off. Yeah, in the theatrical cut, he, he absolutely comes across as this sort of love-struck... Like yeah, well, like he—it's he, almost like he's—he's the—he's the—the nerdy guy from all the high school films that's never had a girlfriend, and and now he's you know he's getting the chance to have the the hot chick. I it really came across that way in in the in the theatrical cut because mm-hmm. he just sort of like he's begging her to be his 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 princess essentially. I'm like, why is he could have any? Well, of course, there's nobody else around, so mm-hmm. she's the only woman. It's either her or Nell. So I guess he's, you know, he's he's trying to decide between the two. But Nell's kind of frozen at that <laughs> point, so I don't know that she would be much good company. But but that that whole thing, I mean, it's just this idea that he's begging her to be his his equal at that mm-hmm. point. I'm like, do you need a queen of air and darkness? Is this are we going into fairyland again? What's going on? Yeah, and I kind of like how in the director's cut, it's more of uh, he just wants darkness. He wants to plunge the world mm-hmm. into darkness, and then he gets swayed by oh this girl and she's now she is dominating my thoughts but it wasn't it almost feels i don't know again it feels kind of more earned uh to have that Mm -hmm. turn in him like oh i'm now i'm feeling these feelings uh because i've met her as opposed to again just kind of feeling rushed part of that is having an extra half an hour's worth of storytelling time right well, well, and she's also darker in that. Like, she comes across as actually enticing him in some ways in that in that cut too. Yeah, like she's got this. She comes across as a much darker character. Like, like she's letting her darkness out, and so it, it becomes this sort of meeting of equals at that point if she's really doing that. So it, mm-hmm. it, it's definitely earned, as you said, in that in that cut. Well, and it plays to the the whole idea of the ambiguity and the and the darkness and light inside of people and humans. Yes. Uh, right. it, what they wanted to get across with her and with Jack and and all of that, and so I, yeah, I, if you have the chance to watch the director's cut, I suggest uh, that you do because I think it does make for a, just a better film. It's still not, I wouldn't call this a great movie, but it's a good movie and it's a fun. It can be a very fun movie, and the visuals of it are worth seeing if nothing else. Right? I mean, the visuals are yes. just out of this world, mm-hmm. especially thinking of them in context of 1985. Yes. Yeah, when you think about it being 35 years old and just right. the way that everything looks and how, like, yes, you know that darkness is, uh, is, that he is prosthetics, but it just looks so good and it looks so believable. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, 
the facial expressions really sold it, I think, mm-hmm. for me. The fact that they, they did the prosthetics in such a way that left so much movement to, to Tim Curry's face. Because he's got such an expression. I mean, he just, you know, he's the Grinch in human form. I mean, he's, he's <laughs> oh, able to yeah. spread his cheeks about twice as wide as the average human. But that whole, yeah, that whole thing. And then also, everybody's fingernails are like three feet long, mm-hmm. which is also pretty cool. <laughs> Um, yes, that is very true. And Tom Cruise never wears pants. So if you're going to, I mean, either mm-hmm. the director's cut or the, the theatrical, you get to see Tom Cruise with no pants. It's also I true. I mean, not like hey, all the right moves, got, but still. It just hit me, but no, it just hit me risky business. I mean, that's the thing. Um, this was yeah, right after risky pants. business. He slides he across in the shirt. He's wearing no pants. That's where they got the idea for the costume. Okay, now mm-hmm. it makes sense. Hmm. But by the Did way, you ever see is, all is, the right moves, by the way? No. I don't think so. I There's a scene that, in that, maybe, yeah. you might want to check out. Uh, no, right. thanks. Um, the <laughs> other... <laughs> so, Top Gun... The other thing is, there is a very Top Gun scene at the end. Uh, Tom Cruise flashes a smile at one point that's just that that total maverick head to the side. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Tony Scott had to see that and just... you know, I don't know if he was on set or if he just watched the movie or what, but he had to see that and be like, yeah, you're doing that in my movie. <laughs> Yeah. I'm like, yeah, you can run in my movie any day. <laughs> yeah. Well, so Top Gun was 86, right? Uh-huh. It was the year after. Yeah. yeah was so yeah. he basically went from yeah. one brother to so the other. It was Risky Business. It, yeah. It was, well, it was Risky Business and then this, Legend, and then Top Gun. And like, it was just back to back to back. And it, that blew my mind thinking of Tom Cruise as a character in those three movies. Because in Risky Business, he seems like a teenager almost. Mm-hmm. In this, he seems like a twenty-year-old trying to be a teenager. Yeah, and and really has no. He like, looks I mean, so young in this, though. He, he does, it like freaked no, like, me out. I've never seen no, him like, that young before. Like, there's no there's no character arc for him in this. That's what kind of makes him seem so flat, I guess. And then Top Gun, he's like he seems like he's thirty. So it just yeah, that kind of yeah. I was thinking I, about that last night. And I think he was fine in the movie. I I don't think he was. Oh yeah, you could insert just about any young you know, 18 to 22 year old male actor in that role because the role was such a flat kind of two dimensional character. The way every role except for darkness would, you could do that with in this movie. True. True. Although I think in the, in the director's cut, Mia Sarah's Lily has a little bit to her. Plus the singing adds, adds to that. But outside of that and then darkness, really you could kind of mix and match. But with with Jack, Jack was very much kind of like the the avatar for the audience in a way, mm-hmm. while still also being just kind of there. And and I kind of like that because he's not he's not the adventurer. He, he has to become that. So he, that's where his arc is is co- sort of growing into that role. Now it's kind of a running theme for me on this show, but I feel and I especially feel this with stuff like sci fi and fantasy this would have made a very interesting series to dive into more into this world that they were starting. And you Mm -hmm. talked about there wasn't a lot of world building. You're right, but can you imagine taking this world and expanding on it and building into it and giving us more more with darkness and his motivations or the goblins and how they came to be and how their motivations behind stuff? Because we really only meet three goblins, and one of them isn't even a goblin, it's an elf. That, that's all that would fit on the island. So, well, yeah, uh, you true. know, I mean, that's, I mean, I think that's kind of the thing for me is that I didn't think it beyond that point because it seemed so small. I think it it led me to not question. Uh, like I said, uh, you know, 
it wasn't like Labyrinth where you have the village full of the little rolling potato characters. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, it's it's not like there's this story that you want to know more about. Obviously, I get what you're saying, and I do. I think seeing those goblins and figuring out where the little people and the goblins and the fairies kind of came from, but it's like Jack coming out of the tree at the beginning. It's like, here I am, no pants. Uh, yeah. They all kind of came out that way to me. I mean, they, they all kind of just sprung out of the ground. Like I said, that's why I think, that's why I think, you know, like you said, it's not a bad movie, but it's absolutely not high cinema. Uh, but, but every one of those characters could be replaced with just about any actor because they have no, like, they didn't have to have range to emote to, to, mm-hmm. to, to like, to actually to act into the character other than, like you said, in the director's cut with, with Mia Sarah. Um, and Darkness, the reason that I think you couldn't replace him as, as, you know, you could put in somebody, like right now, the first thing that came to mind when we were talking about, like, casting this movie now is John Hamm. Because John Hamm has that very expressive, dark face. He's got the deep voice. I think he could do that character and do it the same, give it the same kind of depth and, and, and you know, I could make him that. as frightening but still as smooth you know, I think that's I think that's the the combination thing. But literally, I could think of like you could put Dolph Lundgren in the Jack role, and it would work. It would be a little weird, but it would work. I don't want to see Dolph Lundgren without pants either. That's He Man. That's a, or Masters Universe. We, you know, that's I'm sensing a thing. theme here. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. What is it with you and no pants? Like let people it's not wear me. what they want. No, I, it was... Well, yeah, but still, I, he was also in the middle of a snowstorm in no pants. Hmm. Do you think Travis is wearing pants right now? I mean, come on. Well, I'm not, so I guess it's fine. Yeah, yeah. It's, that's what it's we what do. It does. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> no, you're you're not wrong there. Like you could mix and match just about any actor in there. I think the reason that I think this would work so well as a series is because there's the the start of something there. We meet we meet one person outside of the forest, and that's Nell, and then a shot of her husband in the background or whatever. But like. Who are they? Why are they there? That's one that gives you questions. Are they part of the kingdom? Because she, Nell knows that Lily is a princess, at least in the mm-hmm. director's cut. Um, but we know nothing about anything else. Like, is, is this a thing where goblins and fairies and elves are known by people? Because Nell seems to know about magic and mentions magic. Mm-hmm. But does mm-hmm. everyone else? A couple times. You know, or, or is this something that's more secretive in the forest? Obviously, unicorns aren't seen by humans a lot because the whole the whole thing with Lily getting to see them is a big plot point. Um, so that's where I, I think like something where a long form, uh, not even a long form, but like a short form series to flesh that out, I think could be really interesting to do if you were ever, if anyone's ever thinking of rebooting Legend. Oh, yeah. I mean, if they did yeah. Fargo, they could do this. That's true. They could absolutely reboot this or take mm-hmm. this as the sort of core. I think the thing, though, that, that never, I, I guess it, I, it never crossed my mind that I wanted to know more about it because they never even teased it. That's like true. there was no castle that she was the princess of. There was no mention of, of you know, like you said, what is she a princess of? Where does she come from? Where is this this land that she is the princess of? Uh, you know, it, 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 even if you just had an establishing shot <laughs> of yeah. the castle, <laughs> I, I mean, I just want to point it, out <laughs> that I kind of like this movie when we started the show. <laughs> <laughs> And Jerry's talked me out of it. <laughs> I actually like, like the movie. You know what? What was I liking about this movie? Like, I, is it really am, anything? <laughs> I am absolutely a popcorn cinema guy. I will watch movies just for the fun of it. I I, I draw the line at some of the DC stuff just because it was too dark for me because I'm a, I'm a fanboy, you know, from way back. But mm-hmm. but in terms of of 
like these types of movies, this kind of movie, this is a popcorn movie. And this is exactly if you take it at that value, like you said, there's room for it to grow. You could take all kinds of different directions with it. But for what it was, it was perfect for that. You go to oh. the theater, you sit down, you eat your popcorn, you watch your hour and a half long movie and you go home. And and, and you're still talking about it probably the next day, mm-hmm. uh, mostly about Tim Curry and, and Tom Cruise wearing no pants. But, you know, it's 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 still worth the time to sit down and have fun with it. And, and you know, you just hang your disbelief at the door and you just move on. Well, it, it, I'm just it, going to say once again, though, that my issue is the whole director's cut thing. I think that I I don't like the idea of whoever decides to cut these movies down to make the theatrical cut. Like I'm guessing it's the studio because it's not the director, right? Actually, yeah. but, there was a there was a commentary that said something to the effect of um, a couple of pot smoking um, theater goers in one of the early um, pre oh, yeah, pre release showings had had suggested cutting out certain sections of it and they did it was it's i don't know if it's apocryphal or not but ridley scott apparently cut out several several sections because of these two high individuals that were at the screening he does mention that and some of it was um studio uh it was universal pictures released it and the the head of universal pictures at the time was like uh i don't know if this is going to play well with the younger american kids so let's cut it a little bit more so they went back in and recut it i agree What's that? I was just gonna say I the just, other release was European, wasn't it? I mean, yes. they released the director. What it eventually is essentially what's in the director's cut, minus or plus a few things, um, was the European release. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Europeans are apparently more highbrow than we are. I guess I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I I agree with Monica though. I think that letting a director direct a film and you see it more today than you did, even because mm-hmm. what'll end up happening is a director will leave a project before. Um, they put out, they finish something and put it out with the exception of, uh, I guess, Josh Trank and Fantastic Four or Fan Forced it from a few <laughs> years ago. That was a whole bloody mess because yeah. you bring in a director, let them direct their movie. And if it doesn't work out, move on and let somebody else come in um, and do the movie again. And they sort of did that, but you end up. Yeah. And, What's like and, Solo? I mean, that was another one that, that had that yeah. same. Yeah. halfway through bringing in somebody else to, to do the movie. And this, I saw this happen a lot. I mean, it happened with Ridley Scott with Blade Runner uh, a few years before this one. Same exact thing. He he had this set out. He made this movie. And they're like, this doesn't make any sense. And chopped it down. It would happen to Terry Gilliam all the time. Uh, oh, yeah. Famously with Brazil. Um, the, that movie, if you ever see, um, the, or if you ever can find the Criterion Collection, DVD release of Brazil and watch Terry Gilliam's cut of it and watch the quote love conquers all version. That is the same footage used to make two completely different films in the edit room. It's crazy. So I, I watch, uh, which one to watch, watch the Terry Gilliam version. Okay. That's much. Don't watch the original cut. I can find it, but we'll see, you know, I, as somebody who did some amateur filmmaking and wanted to get into that business, I do want to see directors and artists make what they want. And I hate studio input to, to really cut it down to that point. You see it anyway. I mean, even even all the Disney uh, stuff with Marvel and with Star Wars, you're seeing that same kind of thing happen. It's unfortunate that because it is a business at that point. But... It's it's rough. It's rough to see because again, there's some really good kernels of really cool ideas. That this movie could have been bigger than it was. Unfortunately, 
$23.5 million on a $24.5 million budget. Mm-hmm. So it bar- it didn't even make its budget back worldwide. And and obviously there are caveats to all those things that we're learning more and more about as as time mm-hmm. passes. And obviously you go to film school and you learn about even deeper stuff. But but the idea of you know where is that money actually going and what does that really mean and yeah. and you know the idea that that people didn't enjoy it you know that it got panned by the critics that it was you know called i actually read the la times still has on file the original 1986 uh review of this movie mm-hmm. uh and so you can read that review from the 1986 newspaper and it i mean it it's all over the place the review is is a classic kind of you know hopefully we've moved past that point in writing these days but but it, it it does. It calls out the good parts. It it you know kind of questions some of the decisions. They actually allotted the Tangerine Dream soundtrack, <laughs> which again, um, as a product of its time, kind of works. It's but. the '80s, yeah. It's the '80s. It works. Uh, but but that idea that that everybody needs to make the movie they want to make, I think, is a great idea. I think sometimes that too many cooks idea is not just the the studio. It mm-hmm. also comes from you know sometimes this idea is just too big. Uh, and I think that's what this kind of suffered from a little bit. I think the, the like you said, Travis, it, had they taken that original idea, that that three-hour screenplay, and made that into a series, I think that would have been probably you know way more not only lucrative, but it would have it would have spawned a lot of other things. Yeah. Whereas trying to trim it down to fit even an hour and a half um, or two hours uh, is is a massive undertaking when it comes to something like that where you where the story exposition is what ends up getting cut because you want the beautiful visuals mm-hmm. you know you want this you want these big shots that you can make something theatrical and, and more spectacle and and this isn't you know pride and prejudice this isn't you know name your name your two people sitting in a room talking to each other that could be on any set anywhere right this is high fantasy it's got to have that so i i get the idea i think I think it, it it's not just them. It's not just the studio. I think it's all of the above. I think this mm-hmm. is one of those things that, that the idea was was good, but it was just so expansive for what they were trying to do. You know, had they planned it ahead as a three arc, three series arc, and obviously that's another studio thing. If they're not going to make money on the first one, they're not going to make the second one. So right. do you leave with a cliffhanger and, you know, end up um, not coming back to finish it? Or what's the, what's the actual, you know, layout initially? But I think... I think you're both right for sure that that directors need to make their movies and and the studio should not stick their nose into it unless it's a really really big you know. Well, and I think problem. too <laughs> having a, a clear vision from the start helps too because this started exactly. off darker and kind of lightened as they got making it when they realized that it was going to play more to a younger audience, which is unfortunate. But you can still see some of the dark parts of this, not only the Rob Botten creature effects, which are let's face it, horrifying and scary. Like it's some freaky stuff, especially for kids. But there is a line and I captured it and it was, uh, it was blunder when, when they go into the, the frozen cottage, uh, blunder makes a comment about the girl, right? Cause they mention, Oh, it was the girl that lured the, the thing out in the open. And he says this, I could eat her brains like jam. Like, that's creepy, yep. and and that's that was in the uh, the director's and theatrical cut. In the director's yep, cut, he also in the director's cut he also makes a comment about the baby. I don't know if you caught that or not. There's the baby in the bassinet, and he talks about. Uh, I think the line was something about milk fed meat. I was like, ooh, that's mm-hmm. I got a little dark there. Um, he had one yeah, other line. They're talking I, about. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. 
I was just going to say... They talk about eating people a lot in there. Yeah, they do. Um, And again, that comes from that kind of horror uh, side of things that I think, you know, I think if this were being made closer to today, they probably would lean a lot more into that than they do in this movie. But you're also looking at something that could be made as a straight-to-streaming type of thing, which would allow for that. Um, There was one other blunder thing, though. I had to capture this because I need your opinion on this. What do you hear when I play this? Shit! Is it me? Or is he dropping a shit as he gets grabbed by the reanimated corpse? I'll play it one more time for you. That is what it sounded like. Shit! (laughs) Right as it grabs his leg. I thought that was I caught that. That to me was yeah, one of my favorite. The first listen through. Yeah, that was one of my favorite moments, just because the the thing like grabs him, picks him up, and it just like walks over that hole and just steps off into it. And I love that. I thought that was funny. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what he's saying there. What do you think, Monica? Uh, we watched it with the subtitles on. Not that scene though. We didn't turn them on until after that. Didn't we? I don't think so. Hmm. Well, it sounds like shit to me, and now I got to say it, shit. It was a uh, it was a precursor to uh, to Wayne's World. He was saying yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and then, in the interest of of capturing weird sounds that you hear, uh, I, I had to get that weird gulp. Oh yes, that was awful. That was really bad. There were lots of mouth noises. There were there lots were. of mouth Play noises. Like for a movie that was entirely ADR, there were <laughs> no. lots of mouth noises. It's just ugh, well, I don't like it. So, yeah, this movie has. I lots could make of, that sound. A lot of mouth noises for. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I, I like it, it was quiet for a moment. It, it could have. It could have done without a lot of that. Uh, I don't. Yeah, but that's just me. <laughs> no, but yeah, I think, the sound design was definitely an intriguing choice in this movie. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, they spent all the budget on visuals. That's what it was. Like, on flowers. Ah, no one's going to care about sound. Yeah, flowers. No doubt. All the, the voices um, were great, though. Flowers well, and glitter. Some of there the voices. Go. Yeah, flo- yeah, the glitter budget. I want to know what the glitter budget was for this movie. <laughs> I telling. mean, you know. Hey, they saved a ton on pants. Yeah, exactly. Good point. Good like, point. For the pants for all the women and Gotta Tom commit Cruise. To the bit. Hmm. Well, the I mean. If you think about it, Tom Cruise is the only one above 5'5 five five that needed to wear pants. So they're just like, you know what? We don't have anything that's going to fit you. I'm sorry. It's not in the costuming. So you get to go no pants. Here, wear your armor. You wear pants and you look funny in shorts. The other yeah. people were 5'10, right? No. No, just nobody the else was. Master guys. Yeah. The the demon cooks, they weren't wearing uh, pants. They were wearing No, aprons. they had like aprons on. They had no shirts and aprons. Yeah. They weren't yeah. wearing pants. I don't know. And I we're focusing on I didn't Tom look Cruise. That close. Wait a minute. Oh. I wasn't looking at them for that kind of thing, but <laughs> why is it gotta be like that? I was just noticing. Like you noticed Tom Cruise wasn't wearing pants fifteen times. He wasn't noticing. Like they called it out. Like they there meet. were certain scenes that were made to show off that he wasn't wearing pants. There were even shots of his knees. Like there was one shot that panned in from his knees. I'm not kidding. I I almost oh, wrote this oh, yeah. down because I... He was wearing a lot of underwear too. We noticed this. This is true. Yeah, there was like a big bulk of underwear. <laughs> he had on like he had on underwear, and then he had spanks over those, and then nothing. That <laughs> and was then it. underwear over top of those. Yeah, yes, yeah, like the Superman in underwear. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, but I think overall, like it really is a movie. If you haven't seen it before, it's worth watching. 
um, either version, but if you can find the director's cut, I recommend that one. I just think there's more there uh, to get into. And I, you know, Jerry Goldsmith score, and I love Jerry Goldsmith scores. So, and it fits the the feel of it, I think, better, especially watching it today, you know, watching it through the lens of being 2021 now. Um, it's also but, a lot more 80s to have that whole combo. I yeah. think that that makes it feel more its age. Yeah. Yep. Whereas the the orchestrated score and the little bit longer kind of longer storytelling, but also just scenes that seem to stretch out longer, um, makes mm-hmm. it feel a little more timeless. Uh, but overall, I mean, it's it's definitely worth worth watching. I'm glad you guys both got to see it uh, for the first time, and that you were able to make it through the whole thing without getting scared this time. So you know that worked. Thank you. Thank Granted, you the the version it. that you saw at five years old. That dark blue with the glowing eyes, that would scare a lot of people. So I, I get it, especially yep. at five years old. Holy yep. crap. Yep. Well, like I said, the voice of the devil to this day is still Tim Curry. So, I mean, it's it, it made him work. Definitely. Uh, so, Jerry, where can people find what you do online, if anything? So, I... Uh, Right now, I am on hiatus for most of my podcasting because there's an epidemic on. In case people right. haven't noticed, I'm I'm dating the episode here. Sorry, but uh, I uh, I am a family doctor, so I have a lot of stuff that I'm working on. I'm also the medical director for the local health departments, so been busy. Uh, but if they want to find me online, if they have questions or want to want to pick my brain about things, at d r t o l b e r t at Dr. Tolbert on Twitter. Uh, and Dan, Patrice, and I, and Bridget may be bringing back uh, Paradox, the podcast that we started uh, at the beginning of, of actually the end of the year before last. <laughs> um, oh, wow. Uh, eventually. Uh, but uh, we have been on hiatus because there have been some, a lot of stuff going on for medical professionals. So nothing right so. now active. All right. And Monica, what about you? Where can people find your wonderful shows? Oh, uh, if you're into Hearthstone, I do a... Hearthstone show called Hearth Casual over on the Warcraft Radio Network of Podcasts. Um, check that out. And um, I do a Heroes of the Storm podcast called Q for Fun. So we just recorded an episode with uh, a really great guest. Um, and uh, that hasn't come out yet, but it will soon. So this week, uh, you know, follow me, check me out. Also, follow me on Twitter and Twitch at WickedKitten13. Because that's where I am, and that is my name, my pseudonym, as it were, and all of that. Where can people find you, Travis? Well, I'm everywhere as TV's Travis. Um, And so this show comes out once a week, uh, record on Sundays. If you want to be like Ace uh, Furry or Kelly Lynn Colby, Phil Rudd, Phelan, hop in the chat room and yell at us while we're uh, recording this. And it's a lot of fun. Um, Did you say uh, Phil Rudd is here? Yeah. Oh no, Paul Rudd. I was thinking Paul Rudd. Never ah. Um and that so that is Sunday nights, twitch.tv slash TV's Travis. I also do a show called Let's Watch Highlander with uh Audie Norman, uh at oddly normal one. And we're starting back up tomorrow with season two. Uh it's, the show is called Let's Watch Highlander. And we're going through episode by episode of Highlander the series, and we're starting back up this week. So that's gonna be a lot of fun. Now next week, uh I have an interesting one coming uh i have never seen this movie before and returning to the show uh is reed messerschmidt and we're gonna watch tyler perry's diary of a mad black woman uh it was his idea i've never seen it before i don't know what i'm getting into i've never watched a tyler perry film 
that like I've seen him in movies, but I've never watched any of his movies, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really don't know what I'm getting into, but uh, come on back and, and find out because I think it's going to be interesting. <laughs> Monica is shaking her head. I'm afraid. That was, that was <laughs> I've never shark seen jump. any of those movies. That yeah, one's actually I, a pretty good one. He, I, he, they got a lot worse as time passed. I have heard oh, yeah. that. And uh, so we'll I'm see. always worried about the, you know, when people dress up as women and things like, you know, Big Mama's it, house it, and all that. It, I mean, I, it may not age well. I haven't seen it since it first came out. So it's possible. I, don't I know. saw Big Mama's house and I didn't, the first one anyway, and I didn't hate that. So we'll see. But that'll be next week. Um, so, yeah, like I said, I'm TV's Travis everywhere. Uh, Twitter is probably the best place to find me um, and is where I'm most active. So until next week. And uh, Diary of a Mad Black Woman. Um, what I like to say is uh, enjoy your movies. And it's a really weird time, but we're starting a new year. So let's all be excellent to each other, okay? This has been Wait You Haven't Seen. Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>